Good morning, y'all. This is Dana from DAS Financial Aid Compli uh, <laughs> Consulting Services, also the creator of Financial Aid Compliance Solutions, and I'm happy to be back. I uh, had to take a little bit of a break, but now uh, the new year has kicked off um, as far as processing uh, and reviewing files, so I figured uh, this would be a good time for me to uh, create a show, um, a new episode for the 2022-2023 award year since we have uh, some changes that have been announced by the USDE. Uh, and, and having said that, I will say that the changes that have been put forth uh, really are not severe changes, uh, are radical changes. Uh, basically what they've decided to do is uh, just continue on with the verification uh, overrides that uh, began on July 13th of 2021. Uh, and basically what that means is that uh, we are not processing V1 verifications. We are not, uh, we are processing the V4 and V5s, but they have eliminated for the 2022-2023 files, uh, you do not have to confirm high school completion with the form. However, when you are uh, meeting with your students, or if you are a student, you will need to confirm your high school completion via answering the question on the FAFSA and then also uh, showing the school confirmation of that completion. If you have a student um, or are a student that is uh, planning on attending post-secondary school. Uh, this will go for any Title IV institution. So any uh, institution that is eligible to receive Pell Grant or direct loans, you will need to provide, uh, again, the high school confirmation information. That would be a copy of either your valid high school diploma, and if you are a foreign student, you will need to show an equivalent to a uh, high school diploma uh, here in the United States. Uh, if you are a student that is a foreign student that maybe have some college background, you will need to also show that documentation. And uh, for the institutions that you are going to be attending, uh, if those uh, certificates, uh, diplomas, etc. are in a foreign language, they will need to be translated and those will again need to be certified that they are equivalent to what uh, it is in the United States for that level of education. In order to get those translated, you will need to contact your Department of Education in your state and they will be able to provide you with a translator that can go forward and translate that information for you. Um, I will also say, and I have not confirmed this, but I did see and read in an article that um, I believe ability to benefit testing is coming back. Um, but at this point in time, I do not have any further information with regards to that. So uh, ability to test, uh, is something where you will need to get confirmation um, from one of the um, approved uh, testing centers. Uh, 
and uh, then we will go forward and um, once the, those uh, tests have been taken and whether or not they are passed, then you would be able to um, receive those forms of uh, confirmation of uh, education um, or high school completion, I should say. And then uh, we would go forward and award the files or process those files um, accordingly. But again, ATB, that is something that I still need to confirm. Um, if you wanna go in and, and do the research on your own, you go to the fsapartners.ed.gov into the Knowledge Center and just look up ATB and at that point in time you'd be able to uh, see where that stands. So it has been a, a bit since I have uh, hosted a show and I just want to briefly touch on, on a couple of things. Um, one of the reasons why is because uh, with the changes that occurred on July 13th, 2021, uh, with uh, basically uh, doing away with uh, verification reviews, there wasn't much to report on. Um, but I will say that uh, during the time I was away and not producing shows, I, will, uh, I was continuing my work uh, with the compliance and audit reviews. And um, it was a bit discouraging uh, with some of the file reviews because of the fact that uh, there is information that's conflicting and it's still under the guidelines uh, for all Title IV aid uh, schools that if you have conflicting information and you know about it on the files, you need to review and, and result, have the student and or parent uh, resolve that conflicting information. So having said that, I wanna share with you a couple of scenarios that have occurred in the past few weeks for some files that I have reviewed for institutions. And these, these files are subject to tax fraud and they also are subject to be reported to the Office of Inspector General and that information you can find in the handbook, the FSA handbook for the current award year. And the handbook hasn't changed for 2022, 2023 either. So the scenario is, is that there was a, a school, um, it, was located in one of the seven states. Uh, there were two brothers that were going to be, uh, or had basically enrolled in the school and uh, they had valid social security numbers, meaning they were issued in the United States. Uh, their status were US citizens. They were not eligible non-citizens. And um, their parent was uh, an illegal, uh, who had been living in the United States for quite some time and was earning income under the table. Now, how I know this is, is because I asked for a written statement from the parent confirming what the 2019 income was, uh, what the source was, because the income was around $15,000. And when I reviewed the IRS tax filing guidelines for 2019, I found that there were, uh, that was a red flag. So uh, since the parent indicated they were a non-filer, they made around $15,000. I uh, asked for a written statement asking for the source of income. 
And the written statement basically came back in saying from the parent that they um, were working under the table that because they didn't have a valid social security number and that um, things had been difficult, etc. Now, I don't have a problem if you want to, if you're an immigrant to this country, but I do need to do my job. And uh, so the requirements under the Title IV uh, regulation in the handbook with regards to uh, immigrants is, is that immigrants are not exempt from being required to file the valid tax returns for the fiscal year. They're not. The IRS tax code says is that if you make $400 or more in self-employment, you are required to file a tax return. And the IRS does not care whether you are legal or illegal because you can get a tax filing ID number with no issue. So if you run into this situation, you need to stop processing the file and provide the necessary language from the IRS website, which, which is e easily accessible. You also need to provide the language from the handbook regarding the immigrant status. And um, the other thing I will discourage is, is that it is not permissible to go in and correct the ICER after you have confirmed that information and remove the income from the ICER. Because if you do permit that, meaning one of your school uh, employees goes in and alters the ICER or the parent goes in and alters the ICER to remove that income, that is basically manipulating the ICER. And at that point in time, it is subject to be reported to the Office of Inspector General's office. So I've had three files in the past two weeks, the two brothers files and another one that occurred and it's the same scenario. And I had to flag them all. So I'm just putting it out there that um, if the Office of Inspector General is called and uh, the information is provided to them, they are subject to go in and audit all the school's files and also the school is subject to lose their Title IV uh, credibility over this, um, which means that they will no longer be able to offer Pell Grants or the direct loans. So with having said that, and with the new year starting, I just want to put it out there that if you start to see that type of scenario, or if you see that there is tax information being entered, such as um, lately, there are a number of uh, files that I have reviewed where the tax information is entered the IRS DRT code, which stands for IRS Data Retrieval Tool, which is offered to be used when students and parents are completing their FAFSA applications. It comes up as an 01, which means that the student or the parent was uh, presented the option to utilize the IRS Data Retrieval Tool. 
They elected to utilize it, but the information from the IRS did not transfer successfully. And there is quite a few of these uh, files with tax information being rounded. In other words, they're putting down that they earned $30,000 in an AGI, they paid $3,000 in taxes, and they earned $30,000 in income. Right there, that's a red flag because anybody that made $30,000, it's not highly unusual that someone has earned $30,000 flat. It's highly unusual that someone would be paying $3,000, which is basically 10% of $30,000. If you look at your tax tables uh, under the 2019 or 2020, which would be for the 2022-2023 FAFSA, those tax tables, you're not paying 10%. I'm sorry, but it it just is not 10%. And if you do pay 10%, then there's a problem. Okay? Just going to put it out there. So, um, that is a red flag. It's conflicting information. And again, it, you are required as a financial aid professional uh, to review that information and make sure that uh, that information is resolved via ICER correction uh, and then proceed with uh, the processing of the award offer to the student. Um, there are some other items that I have been seeing um, with regards to awards. I've had a number of files come through uh, for processing where um, the dates, the loan period end dates, basically the expected completion dates, grad dates for the students are uh, for non-operational days for the school. Um, those are identified by going to the school's website, seeing the fact that the school is not operating on a Sunday, but yet the date that's being entered on the applications is a Sunday. Or it might be on a Monday and the school's closed on Mondays, and so that would be a non-operational day, so you you're obviously are not doing graduation. Now, I know under the USDE guidelines, the schools can put their start dates and their end dates on any day that they want to put them, which in a way I don't really understand because that goes against everything um, in the financial world when it comes to like uh, mortgage loans. For instance, mortgage loans, um, you can do a closing on a mortgage on a holiday, a federal holiday, but that actually doesn't take effect with the three days right of rescission and the, and so forth, does not take effect until the day after the holiday. So um, the USDE has its own unique little way of uh, putting those loans together as far as loan dates start and end dates go. Um, as far as the academic years, the academic years are still being calculated the same, which means that if you are in a certificate program, or you are running a certificate program and it's a 600-hour program, then uh, those academic year end dates are going to not end on the same day as the loan period end date for the students. Uh, One of the other things I will point out, too, as well, is that if a student, and um, this has been happening quite a bit lately, and it's because we're coming towards the end of the 21-22 Um, award year. There's a number of schools um, out there that are not updating 
students' uh, records in COD. Um, common Originations and Disbursement section of the USDE's um, system, they're not being updated. And a number of uh, schools have taken the full 150% of 21-22 Pell, um, holding it for pending disbursements, yet the student is no longer enrolled. And when the student tries to enroll at another institution, uh, because that money is sitting there fully awarded and pending disbursements, the student cannot be awarded until they contact the financial aid office to ask them to update their records. And I'm just going to point it out that for those schools um, that do have students uh, that do withdraw and uh, they might have been fully awarded the 150%, um, you are required to update the student's record uh, to make their eligibility um, available to them um, because it is their money, not your money, um, unless for some reason you do a return to Title IV and you, you are eligible to receive the full 150%, then you should have taken the disbursement. But if a student is uh, withdrawn from your school, um, again, you are required to update their record in COD. And uh, if it has to be done manually, you either do it through COD or you do it through the EDE suite uh, at Express. Um, and, and it needs to be done. The other uh, item while we're talking about this is also start dates. If you have a student that was awarded for a non-start and the student never started, but the student comes back for a different start date, you are required to put in a COD notification um, form if you're using a third-party servicer so that the record in COD can be updated accordingly. Um, if you have not submitted that COD notification form or if you do your own um, updates, you need to make sure that uh, if you awarded a Pell Grant for a start date in February but the student didn't start in April, you need to change that start date to April um, because you're reporting misinformation out um, for the student. And again, it's a cleaner way of if you take care of it now, then there will be no questions when you have an audit. So it, it's also something that you, you might want to take care of and just and make sure that it's done so that when it comes audit time, you're not scrambling around thinking, well, did I do this? Did I do not that? Because there's enough to do during an audit, as we all know. So those are a few items that I've come across in the most recent weeks. Um, so I want to just, again, put that out there. And uh, if you have any questions, by all means, I'm available for questions. You can email me directly at danderson at dasfinancialaidconsultingservices.com. I'm happy to answer any questions at all. Um, moving on to the 22-23 award year. So uh, for those of, the, of you that may be new to the world of financial aid, welcome. Um, you have uh, uh, entered a, a career that is full of challenges. Um, it's always interesting. Um, and it's also, uh, you need to realize that you are also working for a branch of the government. So the United States government, 
you're working for a branch of the United States government, even though you may be working at an institution, you are doling out taxpayer dollars on a regular basis to students to help fund their education, okay? Um, which is a huge responsibility. And I, I just want to put it out there uh, that that is a huge responsibility. Um, so the award years for uh, financial aid start on July 1st of every year, and they end on June 30th of the following year. So 2021-2022 is going to be ending on June 30th for completion of the FAFSA. Completion of the 2022-2023 FAFSAs began on October 1st. This went into effect when President Barack Obama signed it into law. And so those FAFSAs have been available since October 1st. And I will tell you that there are students out there that as of yet have not completed those forms. The FAFSA for 2022-2023 are using 2020 tax information. And as we all know, we were in a pandemic uh, during that time. We are still in pandemic status at this time, uh, even though things have opened up more so than they were back in 2020. And the reason why I point that out is because of the fact that there will be um, some individuals whose tax information uh, that is provided to you uh, or if they use the IRS data retrieval tool when completing their FAFSAs will have a dollar for an AGI. Now you need to make sure that if you do have a successful IRS data retrieval code of an O2, meaning that they were taxpayer, either the student or the parent were presented the option of utilizing the tool, they utilized it, the information successfully came in, but it shows a dollar, you need to confirm that that information is correct because we received notification back, I think it was in March, about there being an issue with that information transferring in. However, I will say that for some of the uh, tax returns that I have been reviewing, that dollar is accurate, and the reason why is so that they could receive the COVID stimulus money that was being doled out by the government at the time of the pandemic uh, stimulus that was as being provided. And that was their way of being able to get into the system and, and receive that money. So it, it may be accurate, but you are required to review it just to make sure. Um, the other item, so 2020 information it, 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 for taxes is being um, utilized. It's also being utilized for other untaxed. And um, I will also in, just put it out there that if you have a sp student or a parent that is claiming other untaxed income on their um, ICER when you review it, uh, you will want to make sure that that income is needs to be accounted for on the ICER. And the, and the reason why I'm saying that is because it's, it's outlined in the FAFSA instructions that if they're receiving, uh, say, Social Security benefits, Social Security disability, 
or they're receiving workers' compensation or, or those types of other untaxed income, they go through it line by line on what to include and what not to include. And I can tell you from just doing this for almost 16 years, you don't include Social Security benefits. But if they're on, say, permanent dis disability or uh, which is either long-term disability or short-term disability, disability does get included as um, other untaxed information. So just make sure that you always have the FAFSA ready to reference when you're uh, working with your students and or college-bound families uh, to complete the FAFSA. Uh, because the FAFSA uh, questions and what they're looking for for information, they spell it right out. It can't be any easier. So you just need to make sure that you have, have again, the PDF form available to you. And that's readily accessible um, online um, to have that handy. So uh, that's just a little tip um, to also uh, maybe when they're completing the FAFSA so that you don't end up with conflicting information when the ICER does come in. So uh, let's see, what else can I uh, go over? Well, I, I, I guess I should tell you that um, part of the changes with the 2022-2023 was an increase in Pell. There was a $400 increase that was voted in by uh, Congress and uh, so that, that went up $400. So now the total is if you have, um, what we call a zero estimated family contribution, $6,895. Potentially you, a student could get 150%, which means that they could get the 6,895 plus the other half, which is 3,447. So that is, again, um, a $400 increase, and I will say that at this time, if you have students that are enrolling uh, in, say, uh, any within the next couple of weeks in May, you have any starts coming up, or in June, you're going to want to double check and see, uh, compare your the students' ICERs uh, that you've received into your school, whether it's... Uh, you know, if you have a zero EFC on the 21-22 and you have a zero EFC on 22-23 and you know that they're only going to get two disbursements for the particular program, and I'm talking basically a certificate program, uh, then you're going to want to take it out of 22-23 because that benefits the student more so because of the increase in Pell. But if you have a situation where the 21-22 has maybe a zero EFC, but the 22-23 has, say, an EFC of, I don't know, 1,000 or 1,050 or higher, you're obviously wanting to get that first disbursement out of the 21-22 because that first disbursement is going to be more than the 22-23. So just make sure that you're uh, reviewing those. And I will tell you that we have until uh, the end of September for the 21-22 uh, disbursements repel um, because the, the fiscal year for the United States government ends on September 30th and begins on October 1st every year. So 
um, that's just a little information there. With regards to loans, and um, this is going to be uh, basically a, 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 an overview. So you have a student that's accepting loans, and you need to make sure that these students understand what they are accepting as far as the responsibility for loans. And the reason this is important is because right now, as most of us know, uh, the United States is in a real deficit, if you will, with the debt loans that are not being paid, the student loan debt that's not being paid back. And I know there is a big, a big controversy going on with regards to whether or not this administration is going to forgive those loans. And at this point in time, even though the deadline for the repayment has been extended and extended and extended now for, I think, four times to go into repayment, that doesn't mean that these loans are going to totally be, that $1.6 trillion is going to be forgiven totally. That, that doesn't mean that necessarily. If it is, Lord help us all, because the students that are going to school now and the future generations are going to have to pay that debt load. And they, some of them haven't even been born yet. But that's a conversation for another time. I'm just going to put it out there. Um, I will also say, though, that for those students that may be in the uh, situation where you do have current loan debt and you're looking to go back to school and um, you've kind of been taken advantage of, which was offered to you, uh, to, you know, not be in repayment status, if you will, for this period of two years plus. Um, you still could be paying on the principal. Your interest isn't accruing. And that's an ideal situation if you think about it. So I'm just going to put it out there. Um, but having said that, if, if you have a student or are a student that's looking to take out loans, you have an obligation within six months of your graduation, you go back into, you go into repayment status. And it is up to you to make sure that you are up to date on your loans. And I will tell you in the past few weeks, um, and because of the, the way the structure is for um, aggregate loan limits, there are a number of files that have come across my desk for processing that students are basically at the limit of their undergrad aggregate loan limit. Now, for dependent students, that combined undergrad um, loan, aggregate loan limit is $31,000. $23,000 of it could be in a subloan form, which means basically when you're in school, the interest um, uh, just it'll accrue, um, but you don't have to pay for it until you graduate. Whereas on an unsub loan, the interest accrues and you can defer it until you graduate, or you can make the payments on the interest um, while you're in school. And usually it ends up being like 20 bucks. But having said that, so you've got the, again, the undergrad dependent student. This is a student that is dependent by age, has to have parent rental information on their applications, on their FAFSA applications, and without a parent plus loan denial, 
you need to uh, know that $23,000 in a subloan and $8,000 in an unsub are your maximum limits. Once you start paying on that balance, then the um, eligibility opens up again. For an independent student by age or a student that doesn't need parental information on their FAFSA um, or a student that has is a dependent student with a PLUS loan denial, the aggregate loan limit is $57,500 for an undergrad student. $23,000 of that is in a subloan form, and it's the same. If you start paying on that balance, you are eligible to receive the additional until you get that up to that limit again. Now, why anybody would want to carry that loan limit, I have no idea. Uh, I can tell you that, um, again, the past couple of weeks, I, I have awarded files that um, they're only getting a portion of what they're eligible to receive uh, because of the fact that they are at the aggregate loan limits. And for those students that are um, maybe not aware, um, when you are a first-year student, you're eligible for $3,500 in a subloan. You're eligible to request as a dependent student $2,000 in an unsubloan. And for an independent student, $3,500 in a subloan. And for um, an unsubloan, you're um, eligible to request $6,000 in an unsubloan. And then if you are a second year, you're eligible to receive $4,500 or, or a, eligible to request, I should say, uh, $4,500 in a subloan and uh the unsub is the same. It would be $2,000 for a dependent student and then $6,000 for um, an independent student. And then third year and beyond, you are eligible for $7,500 in a subloan. And then for unsub, it's, it's the same figures. So just um, to give you some idea of what your eligibility um, is available to you. I do know that there's also um, some students that are in default status um, and if they bring their statuses up with their servicers, um, a lot of the servicers are taking um, settlements um, and then they will um, resolve the default status and then you're eligible to receive uh, additional loans. Um, just be careful though if you are enrolling a student um, or a student that is enrolling with a default status, um, you are not eligible for any Title IV to aid until that default status is resolved. And what that means is, is that if you're progressing through the program, and let's say it's a, I'm just going to put it out there, a 900-hour program, and uh, you reach midpoint, which is 450 hours, and you move on to 451 hours, if you haven't resolved that default status, you're losing eligibility in Pell. Not loans, but eligibility in Pell for that first payment period of 1 to 450. So you want to make sure that you get that default status resolved sooner rather than later. And if you are an institution um, that has a student that is in that status, you want to make sure that they do not go over 450 hours 
without that default being resolved because you're going to be losing money as well as the student. So um, that's just a little bit of information. I, I, I could go on uh, for hours talking about this subject, which I know for some is like, you know, that's crazy. But um, this is what I've been doing for 16 years. And uh, I, I, I love being able to help students. Um, but I also um, love being able to um, help financial aid advisors uh, know the ins and outs of uh, what is required um, and break down what I can uh, for y'all because I know you're on the front lines where I'm on the, on the, in the, the back room, if you will. Um, and um, I am able to, uh, you know, go to the classes and, and also understand the language and, and because I have a, I, I mean, I have a paralegal background and I also have a finance background. I've been doing this, you know, in finance. I've been in finance since for the past almost 40 years. Um, so, and um, I was a paralegal um, for some time. So I know how to uh, read um, some of the regulations and so forth uh, that come through. Um, which I know some folks, you just don't have time to do when you're trying to run a school and, and trying to, you know, keep up with your students and so forth. Lastly, I want to congratulate all of the students that are graduating um, or have graduated. Um, and there's quite a number of uh, high school students that are um, in the process of graduating. I have a family member graduating tomorrow. And so I just want to say congratulations um, to those students. And I also want to say that um, to those students that are not going to four-year colleges, but you're going to go, um, you're enrolling at trade schools, you're enrolling in um, technical schools, or you're enrolling in, say, cosmetology, massage therapy, uh, aesthetic schools, HVAC schools, all, all of those. Um, I just want to say congratulations to you as well. Um, just because you don't, uh, you're not enrolling maybe in a four-year institution, you deserve the kudos for going into the line of work that that you are going into. And uh, just remember, um, whatever career you're going into, just remember to love what you do, and then it won't seem like work. Um, so that's just a little bit of wisdom. And um, hi, cool. Uh, thank you for joining me today. I'm kind of at the end of the show, but I greatly appreciate you joining in. And uh, I thank everybody who's listening for your support. And I will definitely uh, be producing a couple more episodes as we get through because there's quite a few um, changes that are, again, coming up. But as far as today goes, um, just to recap real quick, the verification um, override that started on July 13th, 2021 is continuing through the entire 2022-2023 award year that was announced yesterday in an electronic announcement and you can go to fsapartners.ed.gov uh, to read that announcement in full. So without further ado, I will bid y'all a nice weekend and uh, Let's just uh, keep things rolling here in the United States um, and the world and uh, just stay safe and uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Take care.